Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time you are tuning in. Uh, my name is Alec. I'm the host for this little podcast episode we're doing, where once again, we are previewing some of the amazing speakers and talks that we have coming up at UXRConf in just a few weeks. Hope to see you there. Today, I'm lucky to be joined by Christelle Newman, who is a principal behavioral scientist. I hope I nailed that title. Christelle, how are you doing? I'm well, Alec. Really nice to be here. Cool. And you work at an interesting company where I feel like this matters a lot at a company called Headspace. What does Headspace do for those that don't know? Yes. Yeah. So for anyone um, less familiar, Headspace is um, one of the most science-backed mindfulness and meditation-based companies. We, uh, you know, try to make the benefits of practices like meditation much more accessible to people. And so currently deliver you know, those benefits to over 30 million people in over 190 countries. So enough to keep you busy for a little bit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, I personally have benefited quite a bit from mindfulness stuff. There was some, some bouts of some pretty severe anxiety in my life <laughs> and mindfulness ended up being one of, one of the key tools that I still go back to from time to time when it, when it kind of ratchets up, which is really, really cool. I, I never would have been one of those people that kind of got into it until I had some, some of my own personal challenges, but it, it really works. What's it like working at a company where the tech is really science-backed and, and effective? Um, I mean, that was definitely one of the, the drawing points for me personally in you know, wanting to work at the company. You know, it's, it's one of the key differentiators. And I think it is something that's you know, important to continue to really reinforce people to know that you know, it does really help with things, for example, like helping reduce stress, helping improve focus, helping with improving sleep. 100%. Tell me, how did, how did you end up in this spot where you are now? Like, what was the path for you to get to this kind of a situation and role? Yeah, certainly. So, um, you know, I've always had a very deep passion for health and wellness and, and fitness. And over the years, I found that it's, it sort of naturally seeped itself into everything that I did and the different kinds of products that I worked on. You know, what I think on a personal level started out as kind of a personal journey of just observing the sort of benefits that practices like exercise and meditation had in terms of improving the quality of my life kind of turned into more um, intentional attempt at trying to make those those benefits much more available and accessible to to other people. And so definitely that's how, you know, a lot of the personal sort of informed the professional. But in terms of my, my background, um, I definitely come from academia. And so I did my doctorate in experimental psychology at Harvard, where I spent the ball. I think, I think I've heard of that school before. <laughs> it's, it's one of the good ones, right? It's, yeah, it's, 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 it's a little known. Um, um, I, at the time, um, I focused my studies on looking at the relationship between how people processed information and how it impacted behavior kind of more broadly, and then trying to really leverage those insights to then design interventions that could shift attitudes or mindsets to improve health. So that was a lot of sort of my, my interest at the time and kind of how I wanted to leverage those insights to, to sort of essentially come up with interventions. And so, you know, the work that I do is actually very, very similar to that. Um, I like that topical alignment in terms of sort of how to leverage insights for, you know, how do attitudes impact behavior to now helping that, you know, improve people's well-being and quality of life. Now, we, we often see people transitioning from academia to research where it's kind of like, hey, these skills transfer. But it's rare that the actual subject matter that they worked on in academia trans transfers 
like perfect fit, <laughs> like quite like you had. That's true. I mean, I, I do. Um, I'm fortunate in that way. I mean, there are a lot of one of the things that I, I do think is nice about academia is there are a lot of transferable skills. But the topical alignment is something that, that tends to be more rare. So it's something that I'm very thankful for in terms of that fit for being at Headspace. Yeah, that's super cool. Let's let's talk a little bit about like what this is. In in research, there's so many different like types of terminologies and ways to kind of break down the focus and the way you work and that kind of thing. Behavioral science is an interesting one because you know when you, some people call themselves quantitative researchers, some people call them qualitative researchers. Well, it's pretty easy to decide. You know, you know, I'm a quant one, I'm a qual one. What what distinguishes behavioral science from you know let's say the more broad field or descriptor of, of qualitative research, let's say? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. Um, in fact, you know, now that I've been working in industry as a behavioral scientist, um, and I work on very cross-functional teams, a lot of the times when I start working with my um, cross-functional partners, many of them, I'm actually their first encounter with a behavioral scientist. And so many of them, you know, those during those first intro meetings, they'll be very honest and tell me that I'm the first behavioral scientist they've ever encountered. They're not entirely sure what a behavioral scientist is. And like, it sounds really cool, but they'll kind of very bluntly say like, what, what is behavioral science? Like, what do you do? And so maybe that's a great place to start. So behavioral science, what I love about it is it's a very rich and broad field that encapsulates many things. You know, at a very high level, it is concerned with understanding human behavior and the factors that inform it. And more specifically, you know, trying to isolate experimentally those factors such as, you know, thoughts, attitudes, motivations, social influences, even contexts to see to what degree do those influence behavior. And when I say experimentally, it's really kind of isolating each of those while controlling for all of the other ones to see, you know, to what degree can those drive behavior. And so that's a lot of the methodologies that often use experimental methods, much more quantitatively, you know, trying to do those like in, in lab studies on sort of more representative samples to make sure that you know, there can be generalizability. That's more of the sort of, at the high level, that's what I'd say, that's like the field of study. Then there's an applied side, which is once there's an understanding of what are those factors that drive behavior, the applied side would be to then introduce that knowledge in a particular setting to drive behavior. And so for example, in a, the context of a product, that's a lot of what applied behavioral scientists might do, which is then to apply some of that knowledge to, for example, help motivate, you know, members to build a meditation practice if they're, you know, struggling with sort of um, how to get from, from A to B or to, to establish their goals. And so that's a lot of what behavioral science kind of is. By that definition, you can kind of see that it, you know, it is informed by a lot of other kinds of disciplines. There's a little bit of it that's informed by anthropology, by behavioral economics, by cognitive science, by sociology by neuroscience, by psychology. And so that's a lot of what I like about it. There's, you know, the little bits and pieces that kind of pull from, from different fields and the methodologies kind of are a little bit rich in that way. I will say that there are some common themes within sort of the more like behavioral science curriculum. So a lot of focus on, for example, this idea of like choice architecture. So, you know, how, you know, what are the kinds of information and how is it presented in a way that can influence decisions? There's also this idea of like biases and heuristics. So, you know, understanding that humans have certain sort of cognitive constraints that, you know, inform their decision making. And so what are the kinds of uh, mental shortcuts that they make 
day to day. And so how to keep that in mind when thinking about how we design products and then understanding what motivates people and how to sort of design like incentive systems with that information in mind. And then a lot of what I do, which I kind of describe, which is just designing interventions that can influence behavior. That's super interesting. So so tell me if I've got this kind of correct. So the, the core field of behavioral science, they might study something like willpower when eating food, let's say, right? And, and choosing healthy foods. And they might uh, deduce the factors that play into whether or not somebody is going to make a decision to eat a cheeseburger or a delicious and healthy salad. Exactly, and then yeah. you or someone like you might go work at a food company. And one of the things you want to do is get people to eat healthier food. So you'll be able to reference that literature and those rich studies that have already happened, understand what they mean because you have a background in behavioral science, and then say, look, here are some things that we're going to try in a more applied setting to figure out which is going to work for our app or our approach and kind of modify it a little bit on the fly, probably a little bit less rigorous than the original literature, but it's an applied setting and you can kind of measure and figure out what happens pretty quickly. Exactly. Does that accurately reflect that? Yes. Yeah. Cool. I don't think we do enough of that in research more broadly. So this is going to be really interesting. Tell me a little bit about what inspired you to kind of put the submission for your talk together and uh, maybe briefly kind of go over what you're hoping to cover as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, prior to my role at Headspace, you know, I've worked at a few other companies, mostly within health tech and fit tech, and largely sort of within kind of more hybrid roles that have been sort of at this intersection between behavioral science and UX. Um, And I found that even in my own experience, there have been a lot of advantages to being able to leverage aspects from sort of both fields. And when I think about the field of UX just generally, you know, I, even in just the last 10 years, it's been constantly changing and evolving. And when I think about its future, one of my predictions is that it will be closely linked to behavioral science um, and to behavioral design. And so my hope really with this talk is to be able to help other researchers and creators really think about ways that they can leverage some of the principles from behavioral science to really up-level their work. Um, So for example, you know, some of the evolutions that I've seen even most recently with UX has been kind of more of these leanings towards like user-centered approaches, right? Where we want to put users first. So rather than creating these experiences or we ask users to conform to what we're building, we're now designing and, and testing more iteratively so that, you know, we can actually build things that are in alignment with what users want um, and what they need. And for that, really, it means that we have to kind of have a deep and rich understanding of of users, of humans, human motivations, drivers, and things like that. And while certainly more traditional methods like interviews, surveys, even direct observation can get us there, I do think that being able to leverage certain behavioral science techniques can actually really help kind of speed up our research and development process because a lot of those insights essentially have already been kind of well-established and evidence-based, and a lot of them basically reflect uh, what we know are and are true sort of of most humans, right? By virtue of sort of how they're collected. Mm-hmm. Again, getting back to that point that I made around they're collected in a certain way that, you know, involves like representative samples um, and sort of allow for generalizability and transferability. So it's actually a way that can really up-level our research process and, and practice. And so that's a lot of sort of what's inspired the talk, being able to sort of leverage these these additional methods in a way that can just again, up-level our research process. 
I also think that behavioral science can add insights about people that aren't always intuitive or sort of explicit. So for example, we know that people are notoriously kind of poor at self-reporting what they might want. And sometimes there are certain behavioral science methods that can be really helpful at sort of uncovering more of these implicit um, needs, meaning really helpful at uncovering problems that we didn't know existed. And so really helping sort of add another layer to how we approach some of the problems when we're going about our, our more sort of traditional UX research. And so that's sort of my hope. And in terms of what, you know, I would hope for people to kind of walk out of the talk with. Definitely one, kind of better understanding of what exactly is behavioral science. Secondly, kind of the implications of behavioral science for UX research and design. And then finally, a more concrete takeaway will be sort of a behavioral science method for identifying and coding barriers that they can apply to their research toolkit. It feels to me almost like a big part of this is almost like, hey, why don't we start on third base rather than, you know, trying to infer everything kind of from scratch. You know, so for example, coming back to that food thing, you know, somebody might say, all right, well, let's go and study what are the factors that inform whether or not someone's going to make a healthy decision to go talk to a bunch of users and talk to a bunch, you know, and what you're basically saying is actually, (laughs) we already know the answer to that question. And we've done it in a far more rigorous way than is capable in a private sector role where you've got deadlines to ship stuff very quickly. Exactly. And it could help, right, provide a more nuanced understanding of, you know, we could break down these factors according to, you know, certain theories. One theory might state that we want to look at this, you know, at a cognitive or a motivational or environmental level. And it just helps kind of add a new sort of lens to how we look at that question. I definitely feel like I wish I knew this stuff like 10 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> definitely would have been helpful. Well, let's, let's, let's end on this then. You know, you talked a little bit about what you like a, a bit about a vision for, you know, how things can be different kind of in the future in terms of having behavioral science a little bit more integrated into the core practice because it's, it's going to be really helpful. Is there any particular milestone that you think is really important along the way to getting to that place that that kind of comes to mind that you hope we reach in the near term? That's a that's a great question. Um, I think it's it's definitely Again, to my point around when I just think about the future of these these two fields, thinking about ways to really embrace more of that like integration earlier on. Sweet. I, I mean, I think that makes sense. <laughs> I, one of the things that you've talked about this the whole way through that really struck me was how, to reuse your word, integrated the field was with all these other academic disciplines that study humans in different ways, whether, like you said, like neuroscience or cognitive science. And then it kind of brings them all together into like this collective thing that's like, okay, now let's look holistically. How are we behaving? How does this all add up into choices that we make, which I think is is clearly a superpower of the field, really. So this is really exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to your talk. Yes, likewise. Cool. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us, Christelle. And for those of you listening at home, If you don't know already, which you probably already do, but I'm going to say it again anyway. If you want to join, you can join us in person. That's right. In person. We're back in New York City at a wonderful venue called 99 Scott in Brooklyn. It's going to be a lot of fun. So you can catch us and grab a ticket at uxrconference.com. Or if you don't feel like leaving your apartment, you can actually watch for free at home at uxrconference.com. That's where you go to register. Those tickets are free and it's going to be a lot of fun as well. Lots of learning, uh, all from the comfort of your own home. So whichever way you tune in, I hope you do because it's going to be a lot of fun and it's going to be the event of the year for the research community. Thanks for listening in and we will see you next time.